0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to our podcast. I'm Ryan Tusing.
1: And I'm Arielle Weiss. I'm an Alexander Technique teacher, and I've been helping musicians at the Curtis Institute of Music here in Philadelphia since 1998.
0: And I'm a pianist and piano teacher living here in Virginia.
1: We invite you to join us into exploring the hows and the whys behind what we teach musicians so that we can help promote the integration of wellness and musicianship.
0: We welcome your questions and hope to inspire your curiosity.
1: We also hope to support and encourage re-examining, rediscovering, and bringing embodiment and creativity into our teaching.
0: Today's episode follows our last episode looking at what makes productive practice by asking how do we keep lessons both fun and productive?
1: Mm, What an important topic. I'm so glad we're addressing it today, Ryan. So to start at the beginning, why do you think fun is important?
0: Well, I would say that there are two reasons that I think (laughs) it's very important. The first being, It's just fun. (laughs) And I think there's a great deal of benefit, merely when we're really enjoying something I think it helps us to be more engaged. And I really think that it makes the process, you know, does it doesn't feel as I think overwhelmingly difficult sometimes is, you know, if we're just thinking this is something that, okay, we're, we're going to do this and it's going to be hard and all of that. Not to discredit that things are always easy, but I think that that helps. The second reason that I would give is that it has been shown in a variety of studies that when we are, we learn best, when we have this sense of play and when we have this sense of You know, wonder and curiosity at what we're doing, and we're really enjoying it. So, those would be my reasons. What about for you, Arielle?
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, frankly, it just plum works better. Uh, I want to quote my mentor, Marge Barstow. So, my mentor, Marge Barstow, says, Learn to laugh at yourselves. You always move better with a smile. And that's such a great one. I quote it all the time. And I've been doing more reading about vagal nerve. Um, Our vagus nerve is the largest nerve in our body. It literally connects uh, brain to gut. Uh, So we think with our gut (laughs) is is actually true. And the vagus nerve interestingly innervates facial muscles. So there's science behind why we move better with a smile. So making things fun taps into that emotional, psychological motivation, And it also taps into the science, we actually learn better.
0: That's such an interesting point. And I think, you know, the fact that we're aware of that connection can really, I think that could help any skeptics among us, you know, to to really consider, you know, maybe there's something to this idea of fun.
1: Well, it's interesting to me working in a music conservatory because Curtis is a pretty serious place. And uh, it's a bit of a pressure cooker to be tr- to be honest. And those students are working so hard. They're so very committed. And that amount of pressure I, you know, as their Alexander teacher, I see, sometimes does not work to their benefit. And sometimes it feels like it squeezes the joy out of music making. And tortured music is not what they're after, may I just say? And so, um, I don't think everyone would agree with us that fun is important. Um, But have you
0: encountered any
1: resistance to that notion of making lessons fun, Brian?
0: It's interesting. I'd say that sometimes you know I I teach children, and you know a variety of ages, but sometimes when i'm teaching young children, and you know I often invite invite the parents to sit in on the lessons if they'd like or whatever. And so sometimes you know we're having the lesson, and the kids are having a lot of fun, and we're you know learning something productive, but sometimes i'll get questions like you know. Is this you know, is that are they going to learn a lot like this, and so i'm I really appreciate the fact that the parents are so committed that they're asking that question, because it is a very good question. But I think just culturally we a lot of times will associate hard work and just like you know, putting in the paces and grinding through things, I think we can often think well that's really you know. productive that's really good work, and I think you know, in these conversations, I will encourage parents to look at some of the research and, you know, just say, hey, you know, let's just try it and let's see. And as of yet, I have not had anyone that said, no, this does not work. It's terrible. You know, I've not had any negative reactions with it, actually. And a lot of the parents who often asked about that at first are very quick to tell me not too soon afterwards that, oh, the kids, they love their lessons and they go home and you know they'll they'll actually practice and i'm not having to to say practice you must practice you know it really it seems to change the dynamic and it makes a piano lesson in this situation something where it's enjoyable and you're building that into the their whole concept of that experience which again i think really encourages them to you know openly want to learn and to really be curious and just enjoy the process in a, in a particular way.
1: Yeah, so yeah. it takes us right back to motivation, which is huge, right? It really mm-hmm. is huge. And I think you're spot on about just the cultural association. As an Alexander teacher, all the time, I'm kind of trying to decode and deconstruct why we're so committed to working hard. Oh, we just value working hard. And as an Alexander teacher, that the way that I decode that is often about how much muscular effort we put into something. And so using more effort is usually seen as better. We have a bias for that. And sometimes it does require more effort, but if we lose the ability to modulate effort, we lose an awful lot, right? Uh, there's some famous saying about um, if if all you had was a hammer, all the problems would have to be nails, right? i I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not getting that exactly right, but I'm getting the concept right. So when we can modulate how much effort, right? If we don't set up everything as it's gonna be hard, I say that's like fighting words. Like if you assume it's hard, then, then it's a fight. And we don't want all our music to sound like a fight. We don't want everything we do all day long to be a fight. I don't. Um, and sometimes, right? We need to reserve that energy for when we need that much. And so I'm interested in calibrating effort, but also mood, right? Sometimes, when I'm working with musicians, what I notice because I'm not a musician is they're working so hard that I'm listening to the music and it, it might sound really sweet or pastoral or you know serene, and I and I hear the tension and I see the tension of someone trying to get it, and I'm like, wait a minute, that sounds like it's supposed to be. <laughs> you know, like I'll just go with what the music sounds like to me as a human being with ears. So that willingness to play and explore is something that I have found myself more and more willing as I get older, um, to just play and find out some things. And it used to feel really wrong to me and I I myself have kind of shifted my own personal culture. You know, here we are naming ourselves pedagogy geeks, right? (laughs) It's kind of playful, isn't it? And that ability to own your expertise and own your work and work well at something, right? Work smart, not hard, but that playfulness isn't necessarily distraction. But I think there's a lot we can do in the world to talk about that more. So I'm glad we're talking about it today for sure.
0: Yes, and I love what you added about the connecting to the feeling of the music. And a lot of times if we are you know, over-efforting and really trying to get it right, you know, that is translated into sound, you know. And I mean, not to mention the fact that if we physically are, you know, tensing up, it's going to inhibit our coordination and our ability to, to express it to begin with. But I really think as musicians, if we're much more aware of that, I think we'll be more quick to consider, you know, adopting a different strategy. Mm.
1: So if it's a commonly held myth, if we agree, that having fun is somehow diminishes productivity. How can we help debunk that myth, do you think?
0: Well, I would say, I think if we look at the the research and I would say there's such an overwhelming body of that um, that continues to emerge from what I've seen that it's getting to the point, I mean, unless I've missed seeing something where there's really not anything strongly supporting oh don't have fun in lessons or don't have fun when you're learning I haven't seen those studies so if they if they exist and say that oh being miserable when you're doing it works better I'd like to see the studies I really hope they don't exist but if they do you know we want to see what actually what the truth is so I would say that's one reason and the other reason that I would give is that students enjoy it more for one thing and not only that i think as teachers it's a lot more interesting for us and it makes it just i don't know i think it makes a difference in the whole process and you know then also as a musician i think it really keeps practicing you know you know in the regular routine of that that we we have to have i think it helps us to keep that from becoming just you know An overwhelming grind of just the same thing over and over again, and I think you know again you know merging the thread of curiosity that we often like to pull on in these in these conversations, I think you know when we connect that to the idea of having fun with it and just really being open to that. I think that really has a lot of benefits. So I would encourage someone who's skeptical about it to try it. And, you know, you know, as exactly. you often say, repeat the experiment if, you know, you're not sure at first. And I think, I think that's a great way of getting into it. What would you say, Arielle?
1: Yeah, Ryan, I agree. For me, one of my most cherished kind of strategies is, is to ask people not to believe me and to ask them to actually do the experiment and not know the answer. Do the experiment, put judgment aside for a moment. And for musicians, I always ask them to record themselves because they need to know what it sounds like. They need to know whether that works better. Or another thing to do is I do this a lot when I work with musicians and how they learn music. Talk about a grind. Oh, my word, I see musicians really grind themselves up very tightly when they're learning music. And many musicians have this idea that they just have to learn it first and then they'll play it. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's a funny thing. If you learn it all tense, that's how you're going to play the music. And so I will ask my students to do an experiment. I'll say, will you um, uh, pay attention to how you're learning that music? and make it playful and sing it out loud and make a dance to it and find some creative ways and then see how quickly you learn the music. See if it goes faster than you thought it would. So I ask musicians to do the experiment and find out if it actually works better. Do you get the sound you want? Do you learn the music? Do you, are, you, are you achieving your goals? Because it might surprise you. And I wanna invite listeners if anyone has a study that shows that having fun doesn't help you make music please share it with us because we really want to educate ourselves but i'm sorry i've got one more thing to say in the alexander world people are kind of getting on to making games and making things more fun because alexander lessons traditionally could be kind of stern events as well may i just say surprisingly and uh I have to say, sometimes I see people making play and fun so important that they, in my opinion, they lose sight of what they're after. So I do just have a small caveat to add that I do think we learn better with fun and play and we still wanna aim the lesson towards a goal that if you make fun the goal, then you are gonna lose sight of what you're working on. So I just wanna add that in, that it's not play and fun at all costs, it's play and fun to achieve a goal. I just wanted
0: to say that. I think that's such an important thing and I'm really glad that you brought that up because I think that really is one of the things that is so important that, you know, I think as teachers, a lot of times we just get in the habit of thinking that way, you know, about thinking like oh this is the goal and we're going to have you know. use play and fun to to help get there that I don't think we necessarily think to state that so i'm really glad that you did because. We don't want it to certainly don't want it to sound like oh. The only thing that we're after is just having fun and just playing because if we were going to do that, why would we. You know do a skill that requires you know a, a lot of practice and expertise so i think you're that's a really good point so it's all about you know having fun and um you know play in that as sort of a means to to getting to the goal and we i guess we would probably agree that it's a good way of getting there maybe even more efficiently
1: yeah it's helping me to clarify my thoughts here that I think sometimes you have camps, right? You have the people who are very stern and like, no, 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 you need to concentrate, no fun here, right? <laughs> there there are teachers at Curtis who insist that their students, you know, dress very formally for lessons and you know address their teachers in a very formal way. I'm not here to diss anyone, but I'm just saying there are some teachers that are more wed to that very formal, more stern kind of culture you know, classical music is a serious pursuit. And then I know people who like are so focused on fun that it does take people kind of out of the theme. Like, oh, you just need a break. And so it's, it's the fun is disconnected from the lesson, I would say. And so what I'm talking about is this hybrid, right? <laughs> and that's kind of reminds me of that calibration, right? Of effort is that calibration of like focus and attitude and, you know, I think it's going to lead us to our next question. Fun can mean different things to different people. Yeah. So what are some of the different ways that you've thought of fun in the context of teaching,
0: Ryan? I've thought of fun in a couple of different ways. I've thought about it as a mindset in the sense of how we're approaching something. And I would say that for me this is probably the most probably the one I would consider the most significant because I think if we are approaching things, you know, with from the standpoint of oh, I'm going to be curious about this. What is it like if I experiment with this? What is it like if I play with this idea? And I think, you know, kind of doing that in a way where I'm not so overly wed to the idea that okay this must be absolutely right and absolutely perfect and there's no room everything is in this little tiny box and if it goes outside the box everything you know explodes and it's not good. So I think really keeping letting that mindset inform you know, the goal, the end that we were discussing just a little bit ago, letting that help us to get there by just kind of having that open mindset and thinking, how can we explore this? And I think, you know, that question, how can we explore this? And how can we play with the idea? How can we have fun with it? I think it works really well. And it's interesting if you consider Bloom's taxonomy for a, a second, which is a, you know, great way of like measuring learning that was very popular. And the highest level of learning, according to that, is creativity. So it's when you've engaged with the subject matter, and then you're able to like explore and be creative within that, and to you know, you know, maybe riff off of it, come up with new ideas, and experiment with it in different ways. That's according to that, you know, Bloom's taxonomy. That is the you know that's when you know you've you've really you're really gone to something and the learning is really happening in a powerful way. And I have found that to be really compelling. So I would say, you know, mindset this would be the first thing. The other thing I would say is just sort of in practice. And what I mean by that is that I think sometimes literally in practicing or in that or you know as we're working with a student on something i think sometimes because of the repetitive nature that a lot of these things tend to in terms of developing mastery there can be a sense that creeps in even if we have that good mindset that oh okay now it's just you know checking the boxes getting it learned and i think that instead you know to use the wonderful concept that susan nowicki reminded us of last time that idea of interleaving i would say you know do it a time or two then jump up off the bench do something briefly different or just you know change topics you know do something to really create a shift that enables you to keep that idea of oh i'm exploring this and that doesn't you know really keeps us from getting into the mindset of okay I'm checking the boxes. I'm trying to get everything right. Because even if we start with that good mindset, it's easy for it to kind of, you know, spiral down sometimes, even if though we're not intending for it to, into some kind of drudgery. So I think, you know, constantly refreshing it. And, you know, so in both the mindset and the practice. So what would you say, Ariel? How do you think about that?
1: Yeah. I almost want to rename the episode because I think really underneath why you and I are interested in fun and I don't mean to put words in your mouth Ryan but this is what I my brain's going to is we're talking about changing and shifting the culture away from perfectionism which is rampant in the amongst musicians may I just say I'm on to you all and and you know I wonder if it's more prevalent amongst classical musicians and other genres aren't don't fall down that rabbit hole as as easily i don't know and certainly there's always going to be variation amongst individual classical musicians but i got to tell you it's a common thread <laughs> at, the, at a music conservatory from what i've what i've seen and and having studied dance technique my whole life i understand it i understand that that push that grind that we've described to be perfect to be the best that we can be and so I'm constantly looking for a way to like savor, like I tell my students be hungry for it to be better, but be hungry for it to be better because you wanna say something. And wanting to say something means connecting to an audience. And so usually when we're being perfectionistic and wanting to make it right, what I find <clears throat> is that we're making, we're comparing ourselves to like the score, right? Which is trying to make it perfect for whom? The composer might be dead, right? So the composer cannot care anymore, but the audience will. And so that fun, exploratory mindset that you're so beautifully articulating, to me, makes us more ready to actually share our art, right? Or share our teaching for that matter. And so uh, that fun is really just one way to describe getting ourselves out of the binds of perfectionism, which I think is is how many musicians are taught and that as teachers, we unwittingly set it up that way because that's how we were taught. Yes. And so by talking about these issues, we're hoping like I'm I'm in a lofty mood today to kind of open up people's imagination. But I love that source that you're quoting. And, and I'm wondering if there's a way you can share that in the comments with this podcast or give people a place to look that up. I want to look Yes, online.
0: I will. I will check into that. And I will post something in the comments.
1: That would be amazing. Thank you so much.
0: So next, I would I would just ask you, how do you help yourself and your students find the fun in the repetitive nature of practice? You know, I was talking about it a little bit ago, but it's always one of those things that admittedly, I, 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 I'm I curious if there's more to it and if there are other strategies that might really really add to our success as we consider doing that.
1: Right. Repetition can lead to drudgery, can't, can it? And yes. It can lead to a kind of rote mindset. Like when we were all learning multiplication tables, like you kind of have to learn that by rote, right? But when music is learned by rote, it, it doesn't, doesn't bear, bode well, may I just say. It's not something I want to listen to. And I don't think it's what musicians want to play. So I really borrow from something I learned in the tiny bit of acting training that I did and in the working with actors. And so one of the goals really for an actor, when they're learning a text, when they're learning a text, the goal is to deliver it, right? To speak it as if it was the first time they were saying. So the goal is I know it so well that when I say, hi how are you today it's as if in that circumstance with that person that's the very first time I've ever said that and it occurred to me a ways back that musicians don't talk about music that way and that it would help them if they would think of it that way that when you play that Bach piece I mean I think of someone I'm such a Yo-Yo Ma fan (laughs) and when I got to hear him play Bach cello suites I thought I would just start sobbing it was quite emotional and lovely and I'm like that man is not playing that by rote and he's been playing it a very very long time but every time I it's palpable in the hall for me that he's approaching that music as if it's the very first time he's playing that and clearly it's not and clearly the thousands of times he's played that in form how he plays it on that particular day, but he brings himself afresh to that music every day. And so that sense of play isn't always play ha ha funny. That play for me is inquiry, right? Like, oh, what does this have, you know, how do I meet this music today? How do I meet this music to share with an audience today? And so that playfulness is that openness to that conversation that's what it is for me
0: i love that i think there's so much so much to be mined from what you said and i really i i'm really fascinated by the idea that you mentioned about play as inquiry because i think that really relates to the point that you're making about you know letting it stay fresh so i would say maybe a direct way that we could think about that is You know, thinking as we sit down to, you know, do the work of practicing every day and trying to keep it fun and playful and, you know, curious, I think really asking the question what is this music saying? or what what to really you know get to the point of what it is and not be thinking okay i've got a two note slur here okay these notes are <laughs> staccato okay this finger plays this oh this hand moves here you know it's like not that those things are irrelevant or unimportant but i think if we're looking at them in the broader context of what they're saying it what really
1: they serve yes, yes, yes yes
0: yes exactly
1: mm-hmm. right so that finger is so that you get to say something. And if you lose sight of what you're saying, like we were saying earlier, if you just decide to have fun and you forget why you're having fun, <laughs> so you, right? Yes, context is key, isn't it? Mm-hmm, it is not
0: it hmm its indeed.
1: So Ryan, let's talk strategy for a moment. Are there particular students that you up the fun factor for or a particular moment or particular challenges that you find seek that uh, fun becomes your secret weapon, so to speak?
0: Mm -hmm. I would say definitely yes. (laughs) (laughs) I would say it's a situation that, you know, as we've discussed before, really being aware of the personality of the student in front of you, being aware of how they're feeling that day, what their their senses and what they're bringing to the lesson. So, you know, with that in mind, if we're if i'm working with a student that is very keen to get it exactly right and to be very meticulous those are often the students who can sometimes tend to get very frustrated if if it's not quite happening or they'll they'll be like they'll be thinking to themselves as i have thought myself before oh well it's it's getting a little better but it's not quite there yet and so sometimes that can be a discouraging thing for them so what i will often encourage and the the way i try to break that up is i will switch tasks a lot of times we'll look at something else and You know, maybe it will just be a matter of just doing something that they're very comfortable with or just doing something purely creative. It might be a little bit of improvisation. It might be listening to a piece. It might be, you know, just something that's going to, you know, take the train off the tracks that it was and, and you know create a shift and then often we'll with that change frame of mind will then like maybe revisit that idea maybe in that lesson or maybe in another one and you know i will also talk with them about the idea of how sometimes things take time you know it takes time for our brains and bodies to integrate as we're learning complex skills so I think that that helps, but I would say I really try to make it fun in the sense that when things start to lock up, we change gears, we do something that is completely completely going to turn that on its head and you know it can it can vary depending on the student like I have one young student I think she's about five and she she will often you know like she's very perfectionistic even at such a young age and you know she can tend to get frustrated if she's not getting it exactly the way she wants it so okay maybe we'll work with that a little bit and she's made some progress on it and then we'll just go and look at something else maybe we'll do a couple of flashcards, or maybe we'll improvise or something just something that like flips the tables or maybe we'll just listen to some music or I'll play something for her, and then we'll we'll get back to it and all of a sudden you know either from doing that or from her singing it or from just like basically trying to consider that question that you know even if we don't explicitly state it what is this music saying by being able to step back from you know the front lines of practicing it as it were and then you know Encouraging ourselves to like reexamine it and then oh I can come to this afresh. So I think I think that's the main way that I think about using fun in lessons. What about you, Ariel?
1: Yeah, I think we're we're on the same page literally. So that for me, that fun intervention is when I see someone starting to get frustrated, right? Because when they're getting frustrated, they're gonna start to tighten up. And then in my lexicon, that's like they're they're trying to drive harder with applying the break. So, right, that fun break is to release the break, release the resistance. I'm not getting it. I'm not working hard enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not musical enough. I'm not good enough. All those inner voices I'm wanting to interrupt. Yes, but I really want to point out that you and I are modeling something when we do that, and I'm getting much more uh, purposeful in telling my students hey, I'm modeling that when you get frustrated, by the way, stand up, walk away, do something else for a moment. Because when they do come back, a lot of times it goes a lot better. And I wanna help show them that and go, yeah, it went a lot better because instead of grinding it out, right? We took a short break. And so if I'm modeling that in lessons and I'm saying to them, when you go home and practice, instead of grinding it out, take a short break, it works better. They're going to start to have more faith in that because they just experienced it in their own lesson. Yeah. So that overly serious, overly perfectionistic student, because we have many of them, right? It could be about a particular piece or a particular thing, like they're working on their vibrato or whatever it is they're working on, uh, that we find a way to break it up. But I do also want to say that we I I have this rule. I say, uh, we're going to take a pause. We're not bailing. And what I mean is we're going to take a break to refresh ourselves, but we're not going, Oh, I'm terrible at that. So I I need to walk away because I'm bad at it. So to really be clear about why we're taking a break and how we're taking a break and still connected to the thing we want to do. Does that make sense? It's, it's, it's I don't want to give the message like, oh, we're going to stop doing that because you failed. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 <laughs> We're going to take a break because um, scrunching yourself up to work harder isn't necessarily going to work better. But I, I have, sorry, I have one more thing I want to say. Certainly. Because it's kind of implicit in what you just said and what I just said is if we if we have a preset idea of the improvement we think we should be making, we what I have found in my experience, when my students are doing that, they miss the progress they've actually made. And so I, I like to say a smidge counts. So if you ask a student, did that get a little better? And they say, well, it's not just what I wanted. They didn't answer my question. So is it going towards what you want? And then what you so beautifully just said, Ryan, like remind and support our students that that integration will take time. And so today's lesson isn't the end all, right? And hopefully today isn't the end all of your musical career. Hopefully you'll have more to say about Bach or um, whatever little song you're playing, right? Hopefully you'll have more to say about it next time, right? So we don't have to pin it down today, but if we're moving in a direction we intend, that's progress. It's important to acknowledge that in my experience.
0: I think that's you? really wonderful. I I just a couple things that you said that really struck me. One was when you were talking about this idea of not bailing, you know, and really making it clear that oh we're not we're not switching to tasks to do something else because you're not getting this and it's not going well. And I think really recognizing that is good and the other thing that you were saying there too that I really thought brought out a really good point is I think so often when we get really frustrated or whatever as we're working on something and we're trying to get it right i think a lot of times we tend to spiral into thinking and language that is like oh i'm not good enough i'm not getting this there's a problem with me and we and in inadvertently when we do that i think we're it leaves us unable to focus on what the music is saying, which is what we're ultimately after. So I think in a way it can, we can kind of attack ourselves personally, you know, and then that, you know, that doesn't help us make good music most of the time I would argue. So I think, you know, when we're able to keep it in mind that this is something I get to share and do and enjoy versus Oh, no i'm not doing this quite as well as i want yet so the answer is that i should feel bad about myself i think when we reflect on it and we realize well you know if we're probably making ourselves feel really bad about something that you know is we're just trying to learn a piece of music we're probably not ultimately helping ourselves to really be able to communicate that music beautifully the way we'd like to anyway so i would say You know, maybe weighing that, you know, in this idea of fun is really thinking about, you know, treating ourselves with respect and kindness as we're working toward these lofty goals often of learning these beautiful pieces and sharing them. And I think as we reflect on that, I think it can maybe even shed some light on why we sometimes tend to lose track of the fun and lose track of the play and the joy in the Mm. music.
1: Mm. As as you're talking and as we're getting further into this topic, I'm actually having a memory of coaching a singer, and I and I want to just say that play does not always mean joyous and lighthearted. That I have worked with musicians being playful, uh, being angry and fierce, and like you can play doing that as well. So I was coaching a singer. I know the role is Baba the Turk. Please forgive me. I'm going to forget the name of the opera. Shame on me. And um, uh, Baba the Turk has this kind of famous scene where she, she has a temper tantrum, really is what it is. And so I was playing with the singer because it's a really strong oh, anguish kind of aria. And I was, I like to play. And so I was like, if you're mad at someone, you know, if you're really off the rails mad at someone, you probably wouldn't press on them. You know, so in in Laban's dance language, slash is like indirect and strong and quick. And so I had Baba the Turk slashing like Zorro. Wah, wah, So So playful does not always have to be joyous or light or happy. When we're talking about play, again, I think it's about exploration and inquiry, because not all music is light and joyous, right? I happen to love all the flavors of music. So I just wanted to make that point.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's a great point. And I think, you know, that really supports the idea of exploration with keeping, you know, Play and fun from falling into a kind of a caricatured view, where oh, that only works for this style. If it's in a major key, it's extremely happy, and you know, (laughs) it's that's the mood of the music. But as you so you point out so very well, there really is a sense that when we're exploring and we're playing, like you know. If you think about children, you know, and they're engaging in imagination and make believe, probably not all of the characters are going to be singing, dancing cats or, you know, a variety of whatever is going on in whatever stories they're they're making up and enjoying. So I think, you know, if we kind of allow that, you know, that that sort of frame, you know, to to get rid of the frame a little bit as we're approaching different music, I think it will really open us, you know, to find you know, more expression within different music.
1: Yeah. So to wrap ourselves up here a bit, Ryan, I'm wondering if you have favorite strategies that you use to make things fun that you could share with our listeners.
0: A couple different things I would say, first of all, I would say start with small manageable things. And now, It can sound like what in the world does that have to do with fun isn't that just like a good practice to begin with well, it might be. Mm -hmm. But I really think it has a very direct connection to fun, because I think when we're asking ourselves or our students to do something that is way too big and can Mm -hmm. seem a little too daunting. We're already setting everyone up for a very unfun experience in the sense that it's going to be overwhelming, which often doesn't really help us toward this goal. So I'd say, first of all, thinking about the scope mm. of what we're doing. I think that makes a big difference. And then, you know, as we're doing that, I try to like show them, oh, well, you know, if it's a musical idea, I'm like, well, what is this saying? Or what do you think when you hear this? And and we don't even necessarily start with it like, oh, this is written on the page, so it is sacrosanct and you must play it precisely and how dare you miss a note you know it's like we really just i challenge that from the very beginning and and try to do it in ways that are like surprising you know not necessarily overly surprising but that just help people to see it in a new way i was listening to a talk by a visual artist um Uh, Mako Fujimura and he was talking about this idea of the difference between looking and seeing Mm. and I think so often we're get we're very good at just looking at things and you know like it's the same with the score in front of us we're really good at looking at it okay there's a dot here there's a little curvy line there okay so I do all this and I think you know if we actually come away and we think ah. what is this, and we actually spend time, you know, I think it was either him or he was speaking to someone else who did this just encouraging people to take 15 minutes to sit in front of a painting. And to really look at it and to that way they could actually see it, because I think sometimes you know in our. You know, our efforts to achieve a lot, we we just end up looking and skimming, and I think then we don't have the experience of being able to explore, you know, what's under the surface and what the music's saying, which I think again is directly connected to our experience of being able to play with that and to be creative within those things. So I would say that's one thing I try to get the students to kind of you know, first of all, I think about the scope, like I said, then I try to get them to step back. And however it works in a particular context, I want them to actually hear, and I want them to really see, as it were, what what we're doing. So I think that helps, because I think when we uh, cultivate that sense of wonder and curiosity about it, it keeps it from going in the direction of, okay, I just have to get this right. And I think if we kind of short circuit that and help them to see the bigger picture, you know, very vividly, even in small ways that then they're able to implement pretty quickly. I think that goes a long way at really supporting, you know, the fun of it. Mm-hmm. What about for you, Ariel? how do you incorporate that?
1: Yeah, well, I first of all, thank you, because that's what you said, especially about the scope, right, it connected the dots for me in a new way. So I appreciate that insight, Ryan. Um, so for me, I think one of my favorite strategies is to make up, mix up what my colleague would call our sensory soup, right? <laughs> is to like call on different aspects of our sensory mechanisms. So um, a lot of times what I'll do is get m- musicians moving, moving in space. So if it's a particular rhythm, you know, uh, clapping a rhythm might might make people feel like they're in kindergartens, but but, you know, snapping or dabbing or stamping or walking uh, to get rhythmical clarity um, or to get someone to just start riffing in language about what that music is about. That made me so upset or, oh, you're so beautiful. And get them to like play with different voices and, and to imagine different characters and to put themselves visually to imagine, are you on a battlefield? Are you in someone's bed chamber? Uh, are you touching silk sheets? Are you getting tickled by grass? And so to get people in their senses and also to play with actual movement um, uh, is if it's coloratura, is it moving around a lot? Or you know, is it long and dirge-like? How do you move like that? Because if you get yourself in the mood, right? You get your whole unified self It's going to be easier to play that. Um, And I had one more idea, see if I can retrieve it. So, (laughs) oh, I often will get musicians just vocally um, speaking. Because in conversation, we do all kinds of expressive things. Most of us will add more volume, will accelerate, or will decelerate. Yeah, and pitch as well is quite expressive. So I'll ask my musicians, yes, my students, oh, why is it speeding up there? There's a lot of different reasons. You know, sometimes we speed up because we're urgent and it's really, right? And sometimes we speed up because we're really excited. And so I'll get musicians playing just conversationally telling me a story uh, in the style of what that music has to say. So this, some are my favorites, movement, Uh, vocal conversation right and also kind of that sensory mechanism where placing yourself in the in the field so to speak what does it look like what does it feel like Um, yeah just enlivening people's senses
0: that's that's incredible and I really (laughs) love this the sense of how you're doing that with, you know, bringing all the different senses in and almost it it makes me think of this idea of thinking of the score as a script, or whatever. And I think, you know, I think I'm fascinated, because I was just using visual art, you know, ideas, and you're pulling in these wonderful dance and acting sorts (laughs) of parallels. And I think that this really is indicative of something that's really maybe core to this whole discussion. It's, you know, looking, thinking of, you know, the art as art, you know, whether it's music or whatever, and looking at different media and thinking, how would these media express it? And I think that can give us a really great insight, you know, in, for, in terms of linking it to Bloom's taxonomy, even with thinking, how can we make this creative? And how can I express the creativity of this piece or whatever? in a different way and I think by exploring that first of all there's not a black and white blueprint that it's like okay you need to do this you mean you know it really becomes much more like oh this is truly an open-ended exploration and I can really consider okay how could I say this or how would I draw this or how would I paint this or how would I dance this and I think that that is really key because it really For one thing, it keeps us from getting locked into, you know, in the case of pianists, sitting on a bench and, you know, flapping their fingers a little bit. It really, really gets us to be up and moving and to be looking at different things and, you know, thinking in completely new ways.
1: Right. It's not a math problem. There's more than one way to play a piece of music. Yes. And when we lose sight of that, right, we don't need to try to be creative. We need to get out of the way of our own creative playfulness. We all had it this question is, have you shut it down? How do we open that door back up and enjoy it? So, well, I think it's time to thank our listeners for joining us today. Thank you for exploring how we think about teaching and learning. And we'd love to hear from you about your experiences and also your questions about how embodiment and mindset can impact your music making. Send us your ideas for future Pedagogy Geeks podcasts you can reach us by email at pedagogygeeks at gmail.com.